Hello, everybody. My name's Kim. Um, it's my great pleasure to read the Bible for us tonight. We're reading um, the entirety of Judges chapter 16, so um, please do follow along with me. I think it'll be on the screen behind me as well. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, far and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Some time later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it becomes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, All this time you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom, and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with a pin. Again he called to him, again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word back to, word to the rulers of the Philistines, 
Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemies, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can fill the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. Thank you, Kim. Hello, everybody. I'm Jai... Good to see this part of you. Um, it's good to be back, isn't it? So good. Uh, I'm glad we're doing these trial gatherings because I feel a bit rusty being up here. So uh, let's see how we go. Um, the, uh, I, I tell you what, when, um, when I've been reading that story uh, during the week, can't help but feel like it's the original kind of like Temple of Doom kind of story. It's like Indiana Jones was later, that kind of temple coming down. And anyway, it was, I find it quite funny and quite interesting reading that story. And that's the action part uh, of the story. In fact, Samuel's story actually starts in chapter 13 and goes all the way to chapter 16. It's quite a long uh, story. It's one of the two longest stories we have of judges, of any of the judges. Gideon and Samson are the two longest ones. And so we're going to kind of do a really quick flyover of Samson's life and see what on earth all this has to do with us here at Sorrow Bible Church on the 27th of November, 2021. 
is the 27th, isn't it? Good, thank you. Uh, just to double check that. Uh, before we do that, I'm going to pray and let's jump in. Let's do that. Uh, dear gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together around your word as your people. Father, we pray that, uh, that you just be with us now as we meditate on your word. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your spirit, that you would encourage us, that you would lead us and teach us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I don't know if you have moments like this where it's, it's a silly moment. It's like my brain just stops working for a moment. Do you want to have a moment like that where it's just you're doing something and all of a sudden you're like, I know how to do this, but for right now I just can't figure out how to do this. I had a moment like that on, uh, on Wednesday night where I've, uh, I've hurt my thumb and I've got this really hard kind of plastic thing on it and uh, we've got a jar of cashews in our house and so the last couple of weeks I've been going in left-handed. Normally I go in right-handed because I'm right-handed but for some reason Wednesday night I went in right-handed and went, oh no, I can't get my hand out. It's stuck. And I had a freak out. I'm like, I'm going to have to break this and ruin all these cashews. I like cashews. I don't want to, I want cashews. I don't want to wreck the cashews. And it was just that brief moment of panic until my brain kicked in and goes, just let go of the cashews. Oh, yeah. Because it went in, all right. It was just that moment, right? My freedom was all, all I had to do was let go of the thing that I wanted most and I was free, right? That sounds even silly now that I say it out loud. But it's actually something that is, the Israelites are experiencing in Samson's time at the moment. We're going to have a look at what they are experiencing because this story of this judge is different from all the other stories of all the other judges we've looked at so far. And it starts off like this because the story of Samson actually starts before he's even born. In chapter 13, we are told that an angel of the Lord comes and visits his mother and then later his father to tell them, this couple who were barren and could not have children, that they were going to have a child and that he was going to save Israel. This is the first time we have a prophecy of a child being born before they're actually born. We'll have a few more of them. We'll have uh, Samuel, John the Baptist, and then Jesus. But uh, I was going to say Samuel, but it's Samson. I'm going to have trouble with these S names. Samson is the first one and the only judge that it is predicted before he's even born that he's going to be the saviour, that he's going to be a judge of Israel. And his parents are told there are three really important things that you need to make sure that you do and that your son, Samson, doesn't do. And these three things are this, that he, he can't drink fermented drink or any fruit off the vine. Okay, so that's basically no drinking. Second is, he's not allowed to touch unclean things like dead bodies. And the third thing, and the thing that we know most famously, is he's not to touch a hair on his head. Now, for many of us during lockdown, that was us. All right? We didn't trust anybody to cut our hair. But they are the three things that, they, that he is not to do. And we don't get very far into the story to find uh, Samson getting drunk. He kills a lion with his bare hands, which is pretty impressive, on his way to see his 
uh, future wife. And then when he makes the return trip to get married, he sees this dead lion on the ground and bees hovering around it and making like a hive inside this dead carcass. And he just, this is so gross, right? I really had trouble talking and thinking about honey. But he just dives his hand in, goes, ooh, dead lion honey. Awesome, right? And he takes enough to eat on the trip home and to share with his parents, and he doesn't tell them. So two out of the three things that he's not supposed to do, he's done. This kind of gives us a real glimpse, a real good glimpse on the story and the person and the character of Samson. Is that Samson is just going to do whatever he likes. He's going to go his own direction. He's going to do things his way. And no one is going to tell him otherwise. He's a bit careless, actually. In fact, what we find is that this wife that he uh, goes to see and then marries is actually a Philistine woman. And he tells his parents, he says, see her over there, I want her, go get her. Sounds very kind of barbaric and archaic, but that's kind of how they rolled. That I want her, go get her. And his parents say, look, surely there is someone amongst our people who is not uncircumcised, but part of our people for you to marry. Because remember, back then in Israel, you weren't to marry outside of the Israelites. And he says, no. He says, she is the right one for me. Or another translation is that she is right in my eyes. Now, we've heard that before, haven't we? Because that's the refrain of the Israelites, isn't it? When the judge dies, what do they do? They do what is right in their own eyes. What we find with Samuel, Samuel, Samson, you can count how many times I get it wrong. What we find with Samson is that he is not like the other judges. He is actually a judge exactly like the people he has come to save. He does things, he does what is right in his eyes, not necessarily in the eyes of God. He runs his own race and goes in his own direction. And this actually is something, when you read the story of Samson, you kind of wonder how can God use such a man who is so weak morally and weak in his character? It's It's like he sees sin over there and he doesn't go, oh, maybe I shouldn't. He's just like, yeah, let's go. How can God use someone like that? Well, there's a particular purpose that God has for Sam, uh, for, uh, what's his name? Samson. Going to do my head in. And that was that Samson was there to th- literally throw the cat amongst the pigeons. He was there just to confront people, to be annoying, to be the antagonist, to, to cause conflict with the Philistines because that's what he does over and over again he, he, he lays down this riddle for them at, uh, at this wedding pre-wedding kind of get together and the people can't figure out what it is and end up uh, getting his, they basically blackmail his future wife saying if you don't get the answer from him we will burn you and your father and everything they own pretty intense and when they come before uh, they come before Samson 
they have the answer and he knows what has happened and he is furious and goes on a fit of rage and kills a bunch of people. In which turn later then the Philistines go, well, we'll retaliate then if that's what you're going to do and then they burn his wife and her father and everything they own. And so what does he do? He goes in and he wipes out a whole lot of them. And this is the story of Samson is that is retaliation after retaliation until the Philistines decide they can't retaliate anymore. They cannot beat him. In fact, not only does uh, Samson retaliate, but he mocks them as he does it. In chapter 15, verse 16, it says this, after he's defeated a, a whole army of them, he says, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. So the story is he literally picked up a, a draw of a donkey and then just ran them all through. Now, this is a very much more politer way of translating it because the way that it's usually translated is like this. With an ass's jawbone, I made asses of them all. And the child in me giggles every time. But there is a mocking to that. Is I've made you fools. And the reason why God sends him to do these things is because of what, what the people of Israel are doing is actually far, far more dangerous than what has happened previously. Remember our, our cycle in Judges? Anyone remember how it goes? We're going to yell out through a muffled mask. What's the first step? Sin. You have to speak up, you're wearing a mask. All right, so sin, and then what? Uh, not judge yet, where there's a bit that comes before that? People cry out. And then we have the judge, and then there's the epic kind of army raises up, stuff happens, there's victory, there's peace, and then the judge dies, and then we go through it again. Here's the thing. If you read chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, you will not hear the Israelites cry out to God because of their oppression. All the other judges, all the other oppressors that have come before them, the Israelites have cried out to God saying, we cannot bear this anymore. You need to save us. We cannot do this. With the Philistines, they are in far greater danger than they realise. Their hand is stuck in the cashew jar and they don't want to let go of the cashews. See, their life in, under the rule of the Philistines wasn't that bad. In fact, it was pretty okay. What the Philistines were really good at doing was that they were really good at absorbing those that they conquered into their culture, into their religion, into their fold, to the point where they would no longer be Israelites, but they would be one with the Philistines. Now, just ponder that for a moment. If Samson didn't come, if God didn't use Samson, and the Israelites stayed under the rule and reign of the Philistines, what would happen next? Israel are gone. God's people are gone. There is no King David. There is no lineage to Jesus. This is a huge thing. I actually want to stop here at, uh, at this point in time because we can read this and we can hear this and go, oh, that's what things were like back then. And I say that is true. 
but it is also true that it is like that in us. One of the things that we need to guard ourselves against as Christians, as God's people here in the 21st century, is that we need to guard ourselves against our culture. That we just don't get complacent and just ease into doing what everybody else is doing. Saying what everybody else is saying. I've noticed that there is more evangelism towards other things amongst Christians than there is to Jesus. When Samson starts causing all this trouble, the Israelites come to him and say, what are you doing? Stop. Can't you see how good things are? Stop doing what you're doing. Get on board with the program and just go with the flow. Stop rocking the boat. We're on a good thing here. They're evangelizing Samson to conform to the culture of their time. They're saying, Samson, just toe the line with the Philistines. Don't cause any trouble. Don't be countercultural. Just stay in your lane. Do what you're told. Do what people expect you to do. Doesn't sound like anything that's happening now. I want to ask you a real honest question do you spend more time evangelizing people for other things than you do for god do you spend more time talking about your football team or pokemon yeah you know i'm hip spend more time talking about coffee or your holiday your work, your family. They are all good things. Don't get me wrong. They are good things. But if we are spending more time talking about those things than we are talking about the good news of Jesus, then we are evangelizing the wrong thing. Many fingers have typed many words on Facebook and social media about the things they love. And less and less I am seeing about the one who died for us love so that we may be saved so we may be redeemed samson comes to his people with good news but they say that's not good news it's just news let's not let the good news that we have become just news in our day in our lives i'm not asking you to go and pick up a donkey's jaw and start whacking people with it But if you truly do love Jesus and you want to see people saved by him, we need to talk about it. It needs to be the thing that is on our lips every day and every night, every waking breath. I shared with uh, our campus down at Cronulla last week that uh, some time ago, I was discouraged from, uh, from praying and talking about revival. And I felt last week, for some reason, as we were singing, that that needs to change. We need to talk about revival. Our name is Soul Revival. But the thing is that a revival is not because of what we do. It is what God does. 
But that revival doesn't start out there. It's got to start here. It's got to start in here. For you and for me. For our hearts to be so transformed and renewed. To know the good news. To love Jesus. To want to say nothing but the good news. To shout it from the rooftops. We've got pretty big rooftops over here. I reckon we do carols on top of South Village. No better stage. Let's not be like the people of Israel who were so happy just conforming that they started to lose who they are, to lose who they were. Let's not lose who we are. We are children of God. We are washed in the blood of our Saviour. We are washed, we are saved, we are redeemed. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. What else better do we have to talk about? To share with others. To shout from the rooftops. Now that was supposed to be just a tangent. But this story of Samson is not just a story of Samson. It's a story of God's people. It's a story of God's work in his people throughout history, throughout time, even now. Because we need to be wary that we don't fall into the patterns of Israel or the the patterns of even Samson himself. That here is this man who sees things and goes, that is right in my eyes. That I'm going to do. This man that claims perfect vision is actually spiritually blind. Because we're told in the story that Kim so wonderfully read for us, that there is a moment when the Spirit of the Lord leaves Samson. And the tragedy of the story is that Samson doesn't know. He is so spiritually blind that he doesn't realise that the Spirit of the Lord has left him. So confident and complacent he has become. He doesn't even see. In fact, his spiritual blindness, we're told, actually turns into physical blindness. His eyes are gouged out. Here is this mighty man who, unlike any other judge, did all these mighty feats single-handedly. You notice that? There's no army that gets raised up by Samson. It's just him. He's, a, he's like a Rambo. It's just him. It's all that's needed. But here is this man, sapped of his strength, sapped of his vision, and eventually is drawn into the temple to be made fun of. But in that last moment, in those last breaths, he cries out to God. He cries out, not a man of pride and arrogance, but a man full of humility. Because we see that even in the way that he prays, because he says, God, please, There is no demand there. It is a please. Please remember me. Please give me strength. Please just let me do one more thing for you. And with that answered prayer, the great story of Samson is written in our minds forever. To be taught at Sunday schools, to be used as myths from here on, to be just a great bedtime story when we leave out all the sort of gouging of eyes part.
the story of Samson, more so than almost any other of the stories of the judges, points more so to Jesus than the others. Because here is a man who's spoken about by the angel of the Lord before he's even born, just like Jesus was. A man that is, has the spirit of God with him. A man who is taken captive for a bunch of silver. Jesus, though, unlike Samson, goes willingly to his death. Both are ridiculed. Samson saves Israel with his last feet in death. Jesus, in death, saves the entire world and all of history. Samson is dug up and taken back to be buried with his father. Jesus rises from the dead three days later and then rises to go and be with his father where he still is. But he won't stay there forever because he will come back. He will come back victorious as he already is and take us up so we will grab hold and know fully the victory that we have. Friends, it is great to be back together, isn't it? Truly is. It's such a great joy. It's a shame that we have masks on because I know that when we walk in that we are smiling. But how far better is it that we have this news of Jesus? That we have been saved from our sin. We've been saved for all eternity. What better news do we have? Well, let's share it. Let's shout it from the rooftops. Let's pray for revival. Let me do that now. Dear gracious God, Father, we thank you that we can gather here and online. And Father, wherever we find ourselves, we pray this. Father, we pray that, that it would be your will that you would bring about a revival in our place whether that's here in the Shire, whether that's at West Ride, whether that's overseas, Tasmania, wherever it might be. Father, we pray for revival. Father, we know that that must take place in our heart. So, Father, we pray that you would rekindle the flame in our heart so that it may burn for you, burn for your word and burn to see more people come to know you as Lord and Saviour. May our hearts burn to share the good news of Jesus with anybody and everybody. Father, we pray. We pray this not for our honour or our glory, but for yours. Father, we pray that you would use us as you will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.